0: Well, turn with me to Mark chapter 4. That's different than Hebrews, right? Yeah, so the elders gave me the entire playbook to uh, work with. And I want to preach this passage. I want to preach on Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35 through 41. And uh, some of you might recall that I preached this passage to you before if you don't, that's totally fine. Um, I had the honor of preaching this passage at Redeeming Grace Church, and I'm, I'm really excited to preach it today at Calvary Redeeming Grace Church. Um, so thankful uh, for that. And I'm also very aware of the fact that this might be, my, it could very well be my last time to preach to you as one of your pastors. I sure hope I get to preach to you again. We'll likely not be as one of your pastors. And so it's been such a joy and privilege. Truly. And I'm so thankful. I will miss this church often. And if you, I wonder if he's sad. Yes, I am sad. (laughs) But I'm, I'm also encouraged and joyful. Because I see how the Lord is providing uh, for Calvary Redeeming Grace. And I see how the Lord has provided for my family. And we feel like God's calling us to. And so I go uh, forth uh, this next week as we transition with a sense of God's um, affirmation. I'm so thankful. I'm thankful. I had this passage come to mind as I was preparing for this message, and I was just thinking about the fact that I love so much of where God has placed us. This church, this community. Let's, this last week, we we served the community uh, through an event called Soccer Nights, and so many of you were a part of that and gave of your time. I don't know if you're still recovered after four nights of serving the kids and um it's been such a joy because it gives me an it, it allows me to go around and meet so many parents thank them for coming have conversations with them about our church about the bible about god and that happened this week as well and uh, yeah so what why 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 move on then and we have to remember that his kingdom is forever this kingdom is forever. There's a, a song that was sung at my college alma mater, and it's, I don't know the full part of it, but it essentially says, we meet to part and part to meet. When earthly labors are complete. And so, though I'm, I'm very confident I will all see you again, but I won't serve you in this same fashion. Um, We are all going to be together. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3 is what came to mind for me. I'm going to read it to you. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Who is your life? (laughs) If you're wondering what should motivate you uh, and give you identity, this is pretty clear. Who is your life? Well, let's look at Mark chapter 4, verse 35 through 41. Let me read it for you. Why don't we all stand? And after I finish reading, I will say, thanks be, or I will say, this is God's word, and you say, thanks be to God. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, being Jesus, let us go across the other side, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boats, and the boat was already filling and he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, "Teach her! don't you care that we are perishing? And he woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear. And he said and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is God's word. You, God. Amen. Please be seated. So if you recall, if when I did preach this passage, it was it was on a series on on God's attributes and it was on God's omnipotence. But you may also remember that this was the last passage we preached. <laughs> Before we moved outside, uh, before we, the Grace moved outside and then we merged, we were all outside for quite some time. March of 2020, our world changed after that, didn't it? Yeah, in some really difficult, hard ways, uh, the virus, the coronavirus. And our church felt the effects of that. We lost somebody we dearly loved. And really, I guess we shouldn't say lost, because if we're in Christ, we're never lost. In fact, we are more safe and more secure than in any other circumstance we could ever find ourselves. You'll find yourself in many a hard place in this life. This world is broken, even in its beauty, and there are fearful things. There are real reasons to be to worry or to be afraid. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, he implied that there are, I guess you'd say, natural things that would cause worry, right? Not having clothing to wear, not having shelter, not having food. You might be prone to worry about those things. They're they're real reasons to worry. But the point of that passage is that there are better reasons not to worry. There are better reasons not to worry. Your father loves you. He knows what you need. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? Don't worry about tomorrow. God's already there, and he loves you, right? Well, in our passage today, we'll see that the disciples have a legitimate reason to be afraid, right? But Jesus is going to point his disciples to the truth that for those who have Christ, there is There are better reasons not to fear. Or even more pointedly, there are reasons not to fear our circumstances, but to fear the Lord, to trust Him, and in so doing, find peace. Fear is often uh, the result of an interpretation. I look at the size of my situation, I look at the size of myself, my ability, my inability. And then I see maybe what I perceive God is or isn't doing. And then I make an evaluation. The result can often be fear. And so in our passage today, the disciples are fearful because of an interpretation they have made. In their fear, Jesus asks a heart-probing question. He has a serious concern for their interpretation. He doesn't see hope in his disciples. He sees fear. And so he asked this question in verse 40, right? Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? So that's one question. The, the passage actually has four questions. Four questions that kind of dominate and give direction to the passage. Two questions asked by Jesus. And two questions asked by the disciples. The first question is rhetorical, right? Why are you so afraid? Or the first question by Jesus. Well, the answer is you shouldn't be fearful or afraid. But why? Why? And to help us answer that first or this first question by Jesus, I want to examine the other questions. And so the first question asked in our passage comes in verse 38. Look at verse 38. And it's essentially this, do you care, right? Verse 38, he was asleep in the stern on a cushion and they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? It's an indicting question, right? Jesus, do you care? Do you have any concern for us? We're perishing. Well, how does the situation get to the point where such a strong accusational question is asked of Jesus. Well, Jesus spends much of his time around the Sea of Galilee, a pretty large body of water for that area uh, of Palestine, except when you go further west, then you get the Mediterranean Sea. But this was a large body of water. And he's doing a lot of ministry up there around the Sea of Galilee, preaching and teaching long days and so he instructs his 12 disciples of his desire to cross the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And so the 12 disciples leave the crowd and begin to cross this large body of water. There is Jesus. You can imagine him in the boat all right, with his disciples around him. And there are other boats, all right? so there are more of his disciples, if you will, not the 12 but more of them. So there's a flotilla of boats going across this body of water. And what happens next? Verse 37, right? And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Now you get into a boat to cross the body of water. That's the one thing you don't want to happen, right? You don't want to sink right then so there's this storm that pops up over this body of water and there's perhaps a, a good bit of um ge- a geographical uh comments that could be made about this area and how storms are frequent there and how they can pop up with that kind of fierce wind we live in colorado and you know what a quick fierce wind can feel like and so that was what was going on across this body of water as these boats were going across and they're beginning now to sink. And I don't know if you've ever been in a boat that was sinking. Um, I'm not talking about like a canoe that swamps, but like a boat. And so I, w- I was actually with some of my uh, my brother and sister this past weekend. They were here, and they were confirming that, yes, we both know the story is true. So when I was, um, as, a, as a child, my grandfather had a, like a, 17-foot fishing boat that he would keep near Panama City Beach, Florida, and two pretty big outboard motors, and he really liked deep-sea fishing, and so we would go out. Well, this boat had problems, (laughs) and at one point, we're out fishing amongst several other boats, and the boat literally just water is starting to trickle in and fill up right there on the hole where people are, are fishing, And the issue was there was a crack in the hole and something called the bilge pump wasn't working. Long story short, it was really scary and particularly it was scary because as a child, I hear the adults screaming at each other. And that really freaks you out. Like, I don't want to (laughs) drown, you know? I don't want to sink out in this boat. It's part of the reason why some people don't like to get on boats. It's unsafe. How they perceive it. Land is much safer. So you can imagine the situation. Where's Jesus? Well, verse 38 again. He was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. He's sleeping in the stern, the back of the boat. Jesus is fully God and fully man. And as a man, he needed sleep just like we do. Right, he was sleeping. He must have been pretty tired. He's in the back of this boat in the middle of this storm, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And it's a difficult, serious situation. Right, They're desperate. Whatever means these disciples are employing to try to get the water out of the boat, apparently it's not working. And so the disciples don't just wake up Jesus and ask for help. Hey, Jesus, can you help us? Right? Mark wants us to see the judgment that they have made toward Jesus. Don't you have any concern for us? Don't you care that we're going to drown? Honestly, I feel like we've all felt like these disciples at different times. Because we have something, we've had an experience where we've cared about something, whatever it might be. If you're a roommate, you're caring about the way the The house might look for for some kind of event, or we could imagine a a variety of different things. If you're you're married with a spouse, right, one child to the other, you're caring about something, and the other person isn't really showing the same kind of effort, the same kind of care. You can't just be like, well, that's fine. I mean, you can if it's not a big deal. But if it's a really big deal, you express that. And so that's what the disciples are doing right here. Here's a situation, all hands on deck. We need to make sure that we survive. Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? The disciples are trying to save the boat and thus themselves, right? I'm thankful for the book of Psalms in so many ways, obviously. partly because, one of the reasons I should say is because of its honesty. Because it has places throughout the Psalms where you have the psalmist asking God, are you still there perhaps? Do you still care? Psalm 13, right? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And those words are in the Bible. If you feel like God is asleep in your suffering, you're not alone. Thankfully, the psalmist also affirms us over and over again that he is there even if we feel like he is not. Jesus told his disciples, remember, to go to the other side of the lake. They're doing this because he told them to go. And if you are his child, God will lead you to greater trust in Him, and it can very much be the case that your obedience to Him, that in doing that, God will place you in places where you may feel like He is asleep in your storm, and then in those moments, you may ask a similar question. Puritan Thomas Brooks says people may be truly believing who nevertheless are sometimes doubting. It can feel like at times Jesus is not aware. But Jesus will answer the disciples' question of his care not in the way they ever imagined. Right? And so the next action produces a second question by the disciples. So now the disciples' second question is at uh, the end. Verse 39 says, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so Afraid, and they were filled with fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Who is this? Right? Who is this? The disciples' second question was very different from the first, right? They had a shift in fear. The fear they had of the storm shifted to a much more intense and profound. Fear and awe. And in that moment, they under, their understanding of Jesus changed dramatically, right? But he wasn't just a teacher or somebody who could perform some miracles. Who is this that could command even the, sin, the, the wind and the sea to do his bidding, right? Psalm 135 For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. And in the seas and all the depths is he who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightning for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Who is this? Who owns even the sea? Well, it's the one who made the sea. Even the most, I read this, even the most well-trained dog, would be a poor example of the kind of control that jesus has over the universe that he has made right if he wants water to hold his weight it will if he wants water to turn to wine it will if he wants food to multiply from a very small amount to a very great amount to feed thousands of people it will if he wants to raise a child from the dead he can Water, death, disease, food. He's the absolute matter master over all material substance. We've been in Hebrews. That's where Hebrews starts off, right? Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us in his Son, right? Whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world, the Son created the world right he is the radiance of the glory of god and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power if your view of jesus is kind of smaller and simple you need to understand that he is god the son and he upholds the universe he created all things the agent of the son it is the power of jesus his power that we see here that echoes back to the one who made all of creation and it's this that disciples are in awe of with a different kind of fear than the fear of this water coming in their boat a reverent biblical fearful awe of god and his power It moves our eyes away from our circumstances and to him. Right? Jesus is very clear. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Charles Spurgeon said, The fear of God is the death of every other fear. Like a mighty lion, it chases all other fears before it. Remember Jesus' first question? Why are you afraid? Well, he answers it with his second, immediately follow-up question, right? Which is, in verse 40, Have you still no faith? Jesus knows that the answer to the disciples' first question related to his care for them, right, has everything to do with applying the answer to the disciples' second question of Jesus' identity, right? Unless you know who he is and trust him, you will doubt his love and care and concern for your life. Faith in Jesus is carrying with you such a deeply rooted fear of God that you have hope and courage where you had once been afraid. Counselor and author Ed Welch says this, Faith in Jesus will not replace your fears. Instead, your faith will coexist with your fears and begin to quiet them. You will learn by faith to see your life from Jesus' perspective and to trust that He is your ever-present help in trouble. This is the idea that as you trust Jesus, the fears that you have become less prominent and become more and more quiet, just like that storm. But that is how God changes us. Well, let let me look at three. I want to look at three truths that... God we should use as believers and be mindful of and believe in, so that we might see our fears quieted in our life, so we may not be afraid. Number one, and there are many we could look at, but I'm going to give you three. Number one: God's sovereignty. The fact that matter is life is bigger than us, right? We'll be in many situations that are beyond our strength and beyond our wisdom and beyond our control. And in those moments, and in the happy moments, but especially in those moments, we need to anchor our faith in God who is in control. You should have this memorized. And I encourage you to do so. Psalm 46, 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength and ever present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roam, the mountains tremble at its swelling. Can't really get much more extreme than that, right? The earth give way, we will not fear. Hebrews is all about lesser to greater arguments, right? You should know that now. If we don't need to fear when the earth gives way, then there's a lot of other things we don't need to fear either because God is our refuge and strength. And I think a lot about Acts chapter 4 where Peter and John are released from their arrest and uh, they return to the church and one the very what's recorded is in terms of what the church does right off the bat is they pray and they anchor their faith in God's power as creator and as the sovereign lord i'm going to read that to you verse uh, 23 of acts chapter 4 and when they were released peter and john they went to their friends church and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them and when they heard it that's the church they lifted their voices together to God and said sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father David your servant said by the Holy Spirit why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers Gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed, for truly in the city there were gathered together against Your holy servant Jesus, whom You appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever Your hand and Your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon Your their threats and grant to Your servants to continue to speak Your word with all boldness. Certainly, we could go on they root themselves in who God is, right? And God's control over all the details and even over all the different workings of these political leaders. Strongly they affirm, you are in control, God, of all of this. Author and teacher Matt Smethurst says that uh, worry, and we could add fear, equals glancing at God while gazing at our circumstances. And trust equals glancing at our circumstances while gazing at God. And that's what these Christians did in Acts chapter 4, right? Many, I'm sure, would probably agree with the disciples in the situation in Mark chapter 4. Right? I mean, here they are. The boat's sinking. It's desperate. I've been in a situation where a boat is sinking, and it's crazy. And they go, and Jesus, don't you care? But you know what happens is they forget about their circumstances, and they look to Jesus. Of course, Jesus changes their circumstances because of his power their fears are quieted as they place their faith again in the sovereign power of god god's sovereignty number 2 god's plan he's sovereign but he's also wise and he's also good and we could trust his plan for our life his will his instruction for our life are good and remember this truth christian on your worst of days, and never forget this, on your best of days. What we read at the heart of such an important chapter in the book of Romans, right? And we know that all things God works together for good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And that verse is not a to be intended as a scavenger hunt for us to try to find out, okay, how is this working and how is God going to do this in my life? He may reveal that to you, but He wants you to trust Him that He is working all things together for good. He is wise and He is good. We sang about that, right? Catherine von Schlegel's Him, be still, my soul. Thy God doth undertake to guide the future as He has the past. Thy hope, thy confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul. The waves and winds still know His voice who ruled them while He dwelt below. And then, thirdly, God's presence. God's presence. The story of Jesus' presence in that boat during the storm echoes back to a deep-seated need we all have because God made it in us, put it in us, for His presence and for the promise that God will be with us as we walk this road to our eternal home. Matthew 28, Jesus called to His disciples, I will... Be with you always, even to the end of the age. And Jesus promised that he will send a helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He is with us and we are not alone. And so faith, place your faith in God's promises of His presence as you experience the storms of His life. For He is our firm foundation. We sang about that today as well, right? Fear not, for I am with you. No, oh, be not dismayed, for I am thy God and will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, and cause you to stand. Upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. I've grown very fond of a Puritan um, and we've had his books on our table, Samuel Rutherford. And I want to read something from him. And we'll close with this. He writes, Whatever direction the wind blows, it will blow us to the Lord. His hand will direct us safely to the heavenly shore to find the weight of eternal glory. And as we look back to our pains and suffering, we shall see that suffering is not worthy to be compared to our first night's welcome home in heaven. If we could smell of heaven, our country above, our crosses would not bite us. Lay all your loads by faith on Christ. Ease yourself and let him bear all. He can, He does, and He will bear you. Whether God comes to you with a rod or a crown, He comes to you with Himself. May this quiet our fears as we trust in Christ. Let's pray. Oh God, we really have no reason to fear with You in control of our life that we are so weak. And thus we weakly confess our sin. You call us, say, to not fear. Do not fear over and over again. Why are you so afraid? We are so afraid, Lord. Because sometimes it feels like the boat's all I got left. And if it goes down, I got nothing. And You know so much more, Jesus. You know so much more. And that way you can sleep in the stern of a boat in the middle of a storm. God, we are often so afraid. You call us to live in so much greater freedom. Jesus, we praise you. We trust you, Lord God, with our life. You call us, Lord God, not just to trust you with obedience of everything that we do during our days, our weeks, our months. Trust you with how we're to live our life. You call us also to trust you in where you may call us in ways sometimes that don't make sense. And yet you call us, Lord. You call us, say, to get in the boat and to go the other side. And Lord, we so often are focused on getting to the other side. You have lessons for us. Maybe that's actually the, the more important thing that you have for us. Is that lesson on the boat. So, Lord, may we not be so focused on getting to the other side, but daily say, Thy will be done. Oh, Lord, quiet our fears. Make Jesus preeminent in our life. May we put Him first. And I pray, even now, for Calvary Redeeming Grace Church, a church that I greatly love. I've had... It's just a privilege to shepherd, to help shepherd. And I just pray that you will continue to bless immensely, and grow, and use, draw them to you, closer to you, protect them, give them your peace, and watch over them. Fill them with joy in Jesus. Give them wisdom. May they weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. May they love their neighbor as themselves. I pray for boldness. You give them boldness to speak the gospel. Give them courage. Give them unity, God. and an ever-increasing love for Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.